Uh, it's lovely to be with you today. Uh, we thank you for uh, the warm welcome. It's great to always have a fellowship with Chris. And uh, I'm thrilled with what the Lord is doing here. I'll grab some cigars on the way out. <laughs> used to come in here with Laura every Christmas, well, more often than just Christmas, to come and buy presents in this room, but it's great to see you for a far higher purpose. Uh, so we do rejoice uh, in what the Lord is doing to you, through you here. Uh, my church back at Grace, we pray for you as a, as a local gospel church too. And uh, just pray that songs will be one. I just want to, before I open God's Word, just encourage uh, those of you who are very much on board with us at Caring for Life. Um, because even though we face many challenges, I can talk to you for hours about challenges, you often forget you've got to praise God before you get to the challenges and thank Him for what He's doing. And uh, this last year or two, we, we've seen some real spiritual blessings. Souls coming to faith. One lad was just baptized a couple of weeks ago and now become a member of actually Hare Hills Lane Baptist Church. So uh, that's where Robert and my dad and Hillary, before Kenneth for Life started and before Legion Born Baptist started, goes. We've had some folks joining the church that I'm pastor of too, uh, and we're thrilled. But numbers coming to our Bible study is glorious. People really wanting to know more and asking deep searching questions. Uh, we usually get about 45 to 50 people to our Bible studies uh, every other week, which we're thrilled about. And uh, they don't take short answers. Sometimes you have to say, you know what, I'm going to have to come back to you on that. Let's work that out together. Uh, because, of course, a lot of these questions are coming from places of real pain. So you can't fob people off. Uh, and sometimes we have to say, I don't know why. I don't know why. The Lord will answer that. you just got to trust Him. But He is a God of justice. And He will deal with all of the pain. He'll deal with all the suffering. He'll deal with what happened to you. Um, but I remember just a few weeks ago, I was uh, leading the study, and I was speaking about the feeding of the 5,000. I've got two particular young lads that are coming. One is a goth, and the other regards himself as a Satanist. Which is incredible that they come in and sitting under the word of God and listening. And uh, I can see this lad, Michael, who's a goth, and he's sitting there. And I'm going on about, you know, 5,000 from 5 and the 2. And he's looking at me going, you're an idiot. Absolute rubbish. And I'm going, women and kids, you're not even on the list. You know, but there must have been thousands. I think how many must have been on that hillside that he fed. 12 baskets left over. Everybody full. You know what I mean? And uh, after he comes up to me and he says, you know what? That fish could have been a tuna to them. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Could have been, I said, it could have been, but what a little boy he was, and what a pack up to a tuna. <laughs> but you know, thank the Lord that He is very much at work uh, in a community of people that probably wouldn't grace the door of a church. Certainly, people who have huge questions and uh, people who have suffered greatly. And thank the Lord that He placed us there. We're inadequate, but he's he is very much adequate to even work through us to bring glory to his name. Well, let's open God's word together and uh, open your Bibles at Luke chapter 16. But let's first of all just pray now. Father, we do thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you that we are your church, your children. Thank you that we've been saved by your grace. And we thank you that we can just uh, stop in the busyness of life and just think about you and seek to hear you. So we pray, Lord, that as we gather now in your name, we pray that you would um, enable us to blot out anything that would seek to hinder us listening to you. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would change us by your grace, that as we leave this place, we will be ready to serve you and lift you all the more. 
But Lord, we just pray these things in and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. 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 Please open your Bibles and uh, have your eyes cast on those verses that were read to us. The rich man and Lazarus. Now I've got some slides, but we'll not use them. Forget that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a zapper and there's nothing over there, so oh, we'll just keep rolling on. Oh, you have got a zapper. Shall I just say the clean? They're not the fancy ones, trust me. Oh, okay. Ah, there you go. That looks familiar. Okay. Hang on. So, yeah. Oh, you're doing it. Oh, you're doing it. Amen. That's the voice. Oh, dear. Someone has to work it. Yeah. So, have your Bibles open. I'm going to give you this, and then if you don't want to just put them up first. religious leaders and also his disciples because they were uh, seeking to gain the greatest power, the greatest position, the most important seats, the places of honour. They wanted to be upwardly mobile but to the detriment of others. So Jesus was tackling their hearts and their attitudes, attitudes there in chapter 14. And in verse 13 of chapter 14, he challenges those who were listening to care for the poor. Therefore, I have not. Therefore, those kinds of people. And then we get to chapter 15, and you'll know this is one of those most well-known chapters in the New Testament, where Jesus teaches us the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son. And those parables were about things and people who were out of sight, but not out of mind. Out of sight, but not out of mind. They were things and people of low value. Just one coin, just one sheep, just one rude and rebellious son. And of course the lesson was this. They all have an intrinsic value. They all are precious to God. And the Lord really through that was asking a question. He was saying, who cares? And he gives us the answer. He says, I care. And because I care, therefore you should care. That's really the challenge from that chapter. And then we get to this chapter here, this, this passage here, and this new parable. And we see the condition, first of all, of two people, don't we? A rich man and then a poor guy. We know his name, Lazarus. So let's just think about the condition of these two people. First of all, the rich man. First of all, we know he's rich. He's got loads of money. He has everything. He lived in luxury, and it says every day. He has great food. And the ESV says he feasted sumptuously. Imagine what that was like. Loads of food. He had the finest of clothes. He had all of the best things that this world could possibly give. Remember Harry Enfield, that character? Loads of money. <laughs> this is your loads of money man. He loved his money. He waved his money around. He flashed his cash. Loads of money. This guy loved his money. And he wanted more. 
But he had a heart condition. And his heart condition was this. He had no compassion in his heart. He walked past the beggar every day. The beggar that sat at his gate. He ate his opulent meals in full view of the, the beggar. And this is the picture that Jesus is bringing before us. But the picture is this. As he ate and he sees, he offers nothing. And then we get to the beggar. The other character here. The poor man. Lazarus. He is the guy that you and I see all around us. The guys that we, we rub shoulders with every single day. Some out on the streets, some hidden away in their homes. But he has nothing. He has no food. He has no job. He has no home. He has no nice clothes. And we're told he looks for food to fall from the rich guy's table. That's what he's doing. And we also know that he's in a terrible physical state. So not just a practical state, he's in a terrible physical state. Because we're told that he is covered in sores. In fact, this guy is so low that even the dogs, and the dogs were the lowest of the low, even those guys felt sorry for him. Even those guys wanted to show him some love. What do they do? They come across and they lick his sores to give him some soothing. It's a horrible scene, isn't it? It's set before us by our Saviour. But this guy also had a heart condition. He loved God. That was the condition of his heart. And we know that because he was taken away by the angels to go and be with Abraham. But you see the contrasting situations between these two people. They're worlds apart, aren't they? Completely worlds apart. It's just like what you and I see in our world today. The gap between the rich and the poor. The gap between the haves and the have-nots. But then something happens which widens that gap. Well, I remember to suppress the first one, the condition. That was rubbish. I missed that one, didn't I? Even the condition. The condition of the person's heart. <laughs> the condition of the situation. Anyway, move on. Point two. The chasm. Think about the chasm. I want to try it now. Okay. At home, in my church, because I'm knack with all this kind of stuff. Somebody does it for me. Because they generally know where I'm going. I haven't got a clue, but they generally do, so I must remember. Got a zapper to press. So yes. Something happens. The chasm, the gap, widens between two these two men. So let's think about the chasm. What happens? They both die. You see that? Both of them die. The rich man dies, and he is buried. And we're told in that passage that he has a big old funeral. We're told that everybody comes. The rich and the famous, the sports stars, the celebs, they'll all be there. Everybody would be there mourning over this rich man and then they would have buried him in a big old grave. You know, you go to the graveyard and you wander around, you see the little stones that probably you and I are going to have and then you see these huge big structures. Well, this here rich man, with all his fame and his fortune, is going to be buried in one of those big old graves. He dies and that's what he's buried in. But the poor guy, he dies too. And what do we read about him? We read this. The angels came and carried him off to be with Abraham. But when he died, no one knew. No one cared. No one saw. But God did. God saw. God saw everything. And he saw him and he took him. But there was no celebration when this guy died. There was no burial on earth either. Do you remember the Beatles? So you remember the Beatles? The Beatles sang a song 
about a lady called Eleanor Rigby. Remember Eleanor Rigby? Well, she was a lady who, the song says, lived and died, and at her funeral, nobody showed up. And Father Mackenzie, the priest, he delivered a sermon, and the song goes, a sermon that no one hears, and at the end, no one is saved. What a sad song. No one turns up. Nobody hears the sermon, and no one's saved. But that's not the case here, in this parable. This beggar was saved, despite no one knowing and no one caring. But the chasm is flipped now. Did you see? For one, the rich man, he's in hell, he's in torment, he's begging for water, and the poor man, he's in heaven being comforted. That's what we see. There's this great reversal taking place. But I want you to realise something, okay? The rich man doesn't go to hell because he was rich. And the poor man doesn't go to heaven just because he is poor. That isn't what Jesus is saying here at all. The truth is this, there will be lots of generous, lovely, former rich people in heaven and there will be lots of formerly poor people not in heaven. That's the truth, isn't it? A few years ago, show this slide, okay? Anybody know what that is? Yes? It is the Grand Canyon. Yes, it is. Well done. Gold star. A few years ago, we took a group of our guys to the Grand Canyon. We went to America for an amazing trip. And it was, a, it was a beautiful time. Well, if you go to the Grand Canyon, what you need to do is get there really early before the sun rises, yes? Stand by the canyon. And then when the sun comes up, because it's all pitch black, it looks just like an abyss. And the sun comes up, and the colours just shine. It's just beautiful. But then, out of the darkness, appears this huge sea. <coughs> This massive chasm. And down in the bottom you see the Colorado River. And just imagine we'd arranged to meet there, okay? Don't tell each other where. And stupidly I arrive on the south side of the river. You arrive on the north side of the river. Like, that's me there going, where is he? Oh no, he's over there, 20 odd miles away. On the other side of the chasm. I'll tell you actually, when we did go to the Grand Canyon, okay? We got up really early, saw the scene, saw it all up here. As we were driving away, one of our guys said, when are we going to see the Grand Canyon? I said, we've just seen the Grand Canyon. He goes, that big hole in the ground? I said, yeah, it's that big hole in the ground. He said, I thought it was going to be like shops or a town or something. I said, no, it's not a hole in the ground. So that was a waste of a trip, wasn't it? <laughs> what a chasm. You know, here in this parable, there's a mighty chasm. Bigger than the Grand Canyon's chasm. And what we see here is these two guys on opposite sides of the chasm. One is in heaven with the Lord, and one is not. One is in absolute torment. But from this parable we see there is a crisis. Oh, that's back to the chasm. Oh, I pressed the wrong button at the top. I apologise. What do I do now? <laughs> now I'm stuck. Go back in now. Chris, help. Rescue me. Okay. Oh! Chasm. Crisis. Yay. See? That's somebody needs to help me. The crisis. Okay. The crisis we see screams off the pages. This rich man, he wants out of where he's at. He doesn't want to be there. It's an awful place. He wants out of there, but he can't get out of there. And as he's in this place of torment, he sees what he could have had. <coughs> If you're a certain age and a certain mindset, you'll remember a show called Bullseye. Bullseye, the final round of Bullseye is a dart show. 
for any of the younger ones, I apologise, I'm showing my age. The final round, you had to get 101 or more with six darts. And if you got 101 or six darts, you got the big prize. It was always one of five things, wasn't it? Remember? Caravan, speedboat, car, three-piece suite or holiday. It was one of them five, okay? But here's the thing. If you didn't manage to get the 101 or more with your six darts, Boeing would come up to you and you'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, but look, let's go and have a look at what you could have won. <laughs> and there they are, looking around the speedboat, going, I could have had this. Yeah, unlucky foul. See you later. Oh, what a cool thing to do. The picture is like this here. On the opposite sides of the chasm, the rich man's looking across and seeing what he could have had. And there is Lazarus there, with the Lord, being comforted. And he realises, verse 23, he can't get out. And he wants to warn his brothers. You understand that, can't you? He wants to warn his brothers. So he says, will you tell them, Abraham? Will you warn them not to go the road that I've gone? Will you warn them, please? Because they will believe if someone comes back from the dead to tell them, won't they? Of course they will. That's what anybody would do. Because who wouldn't believe if you got a message from a resurrected person about change your ways, go in a different direction. And the answer comes back from the Lord. He says, no, I can't do that. Or from Abraham, no, I can't do that. Verse 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And Jesus is saying, they, like you, have already had the warnings. You've already seen the signs and you didn't listen. It's too late. It's too late for you. What a tragic, tragic parable this really is. But now you're thinking, I wish you hadn't bothered coming this morning. But it's a crucial one for us to listen to. It really is. You know, there are many false teachers around and there are many who offer false promises. Various books on the market selling millions Velvet Elvis Love Wins, various things like that by certain authors that will tell you it's okay. If you miss out in this life, it's okay. You'll get a second chance. Because God is a God of love. So he'll give you a second chance. Universalism is not a thing, folks. It's an untruth. There isn't a second chance for anybody. You know, Timberlake wrote that song, Too Late to Apologize. There comes a point when it is too late to apologize to the Lord. It's too late to repent. Jesus is warning us about that here in this parable. You know, Jesus is also foretelling something incredibly sad as well, and that is this. He's talking about himself. He's saying even after his own death and his own resurrection, still some won't believe. Still some will turn their backs and go their own sad and lonely way. Still some will do that. But you know what? There is a crisis this side of eternity. And you and I know this. People are on one of two roads. There's only two roads. There's no middle road. There's one of two roads. You're either on that road to glory because you're walking in hand with Christ or you're on that road to destruction where you're living for self. That's what this parable tells us. And it's sad and it's tragic. But you know, the only way to get from one road or the road to destruction, off the road to destruction to the road to glory is by turning to Christ Jesus. As has been prayed already this morning, it's the only way to turn to Him. It's the cross and it's Christ that alone deals with the crisis that is being brought to life in this parable. It's the crisis that the world faces. It's only the cross that spans that 
has them. So the truth is this, no amount of good works, no amount of nice charitable stuff, no amount of religious good behaviour or keeping the rules or turning up to church on a Sunday or even giving your money in the offertory box every single Sunday, none of that will make a difference to your salvation. It is only the blood of Christ that makes the difference to your and my salvation. If you turn to the book of Hebrews with me, and uh, Hebrews chapter 9, we'll read there halfway through verse 26, speaking about our Lord. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who, e- who are eagerly waiting for him. It's right there. It's what Christ did. It's what Christ did. Folks, there is a crisis, isn't there? But Jesus is the cure. But know this. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you own him as your saviour and Lord this morning, you can be confident, completely confident that you will inherit eternal life. That you will go to that place where he reigns, where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more abuse. What a glorious day that will be when we stand in his presence. But you know, there is a challenge. Because you see, if we hold him up as our Saviour and our Lord, then our lives must take us in the direction that puts us in step with His. That brings us to our final point. The challenge. The challenge. I did well then, didn't I? Got it, got it. I'm on track now. Yeah, and there is a challenge here, and it's a very specific one. And it comes as a question, I suppose, and that is this. How much do you care? How much do you love your neighbours? Everyone. But specifically, how much do you here love the poor and the have-nots and the hurting? How much do you love the Lazaruses of this world? And how much time and money and effort and tears and prayer and energy will you invest in sharing God's love and grace with those very people, the people that he loved? You know, God in the Old Testament, he brought judgment down on Sodom for many reasons. Lots of reasons. But one of them was this. You can look at it for yourself, right down the verse, uh, Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. We read there, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. God saw that they didn't give a stuff about those who were less off, less well off around them. He brought judgment down on them. And of course, glorious Isaiah in Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7, he says, Is this not the fast I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. They're challenging and powerful passages, things that the Lord is saying to us there, aren't they? And then we flip on into the New Testament and James. I love the book of James. You know, Luther thought it was a story epistle. Didn't think it was worthy of being in there because he thought it was a conflict with what Paul was saying about faith. It's not at all. Not at all. There's no contradiction here. And James says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Religion that is undefiled before God 
the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And we know that orphans, widows, aliens, it's a catch-all throughout the whole of Scripture for the vulnerable. For the vulnerable. For those who struggle to walk life alone in this world. Who need to experience something of the compassion of God. And then he goes on in chapter 2 and he says this in verse 14 to 17. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a bit of a hitter, isn't it, that one? And of course, Jesus himself in Matthew 25 directly challenges us in the sheep and the goats. He says, this is what it looks like to have my compassion in your hearts. This is how it's going to be exhibited as you reach out with my love. But he says, whatever you did, practically, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As if it was you doing it to him, unto him. But let me be clear, okay? Doing those things doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't put you on the first run. It doesn't even get you any closer. It doesn't get you there. Some people think that is the case. Well, heaven won't be full of just charitable people. It won't be. Heaven will be full of sinners who repent. That's what it will be full of. But sinners who, because of the love given to them by God, and because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, will have been people who cared and loved and did things for others because they have been blessed themselves. There will have been people who will share Jesus' love to the least of those brothers of ours. He changed us for a reason. He saved us for a reason. It was to be like him in this very dark world. And that's a God who's full of compassion. And we can't get around what Jesus is saying here. But yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we're saved. That's how we're welcomed into his family in heaven. But the response to our salvation must affect the way that we care and the way that we love. And it must affect the way that we see needs around us. And of course it must affect the way that we address issues in our own lives. And that's what Jesus was tackling here. The hearts of the people who were listening. All of us are affected by pride, all of us. Not one of us isn't. Not one of us isn't affected by self-centeredness. Not one of us isn't affected by greed. Not one of us isn't affected by not putting others' needs before our own. He's tackling the issues within our own hearts. We don't sort anybody else out before we've sorted ourselves out. And that's what we have to do. Come before him, bend our knees. Say, change me so that then I can live for you. That's what we have to do, all of us. But the good thing is this. The Christ that we own as our Saviour and Lord, he'll help us, help us in all of that. You don't have to deal with it by yourself. You haven't got the strength. You haven't got the spirituality. You haven't got whatever to deal with those things. But he alone has the strength and the power. And he can help you face those things in your own life so that we can live for him. And then we will be able to rejoice in loving the way that he commands us to, to, to live. It's not a burden, but a blessing to be walking in step with the Saviour. Just listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, 16. You know this verse very well. 
He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the bottom line, isn't it? That really is the bottom line there. When we love for him, we shine his light. Not our light, we shine his light. The light that shines in the darkness. As Isaiah says, go back to 58 again, lights up dark places, transforms lives, brings hope to the hopeless, offers salvation to the lost. It's his light that does all of those things. And it's the light that draws lost souls to himself. So that's why we shine it. And ultimately, gloriously, it brings glory to him, not to us. That's what this is all about. You know, please don't just care for the poor if you do, just because they're poor. Don't do that. That's wrong. Do it because they're a soul who God loves. They're a soul who God made. They're a soul who deserves your kindness and your time and your patience. They're a soul who is valuable to God. Really valuable to God. So are we listening? Are we listening to him? You know, the words that echo through most of the Gospel of Luke can be found in chapter 14, verse 35. Jesus said this, he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Those words echo right the way through the second half of that Gospel. He who has ears, let him hear. So are we listening? Let me give you some heartfelt words written by Robert Murray McShane. I, I got Robert Murray McShane's memoirs for Christmas. I'm loving reading through his memoirs. And uh, on March the 3rd, 1834, he's walking through, or walked through Glasgow with Andrew Bonner, and he writes these words in his memoirs, okay? He was only a young man when he died, 20 odd years old, right? Amazing man he was, spirit-filled man. But he said this, accompanied Andrew Bonner of one of his rounds through some of the most miserable habitations I have ever beheld. Such scenes I never before dreamt of. Oh, why am I such a stranger to the poor in my native town? I have passed their doors thousands of times. I have admired their huge black piles of buildings, with their lofty chimneys breaking the sun's rays. Why have I never ventured within? How dwelleth the love of God in me? How cordial is the welcome even of the poorest and most loathsome of the voice of Christian sympathy? What embedded masses of human beings are huddled together, unvisited by friend or minister. No man careth for our souls is written over every forehead. Awaken, my soul. Why should I give hours and days any longer to the vain world when there is such a world of misery at my very door? Lord, put thine own strength in me. Confirm every good resolution. Forgive my past long life of uselessness and folly. Oh, wouldn't you love to have, love to have had a chat with him after that walk through Glasgow, eh? And he wrote those words down. Don't you wish you had eyes to see like he did and a heart to go and do something like he did? But we can. And we need to therefore seize the spirit of Christ so that he would, as Bonner said, uh, uh, McShane said, awaken our souls. Awaken us. You know, this parable is not so much about heaven and hell as it is about what we as children of God, as disciples of Jesus, we should do this side of eternity. That's what it's about. There's a challenge to us today while we have breath in our lungs. What are we going to do this side 
of eternity. So we need to ask ourselves that question again. How much do we love those around us? And certainly in our case, what the Lord brought before us, the vulnerable, the poor, the hurting, the Lazaruses of this world. And ultimately, how valuable are they to you? Thinking how valuable they are to, to God. So do, do we see people as Jesus does? That's the bottom line. I want to close really with an illustration, okay? I've got a £20 note here. It's a really beautiful, crisp £20 note. And if I was to say, oh, I'd give you this £20 note, you'd go, oh, thank you. It's £20, isn't it? Yeah? If I want that, look this. It's a piece of a wife, she can't see. She let me. If I was to scrooge it all up and everything, would you like the £20 note? You'd still say, yeah? If I was to tear it a bit, yeah? And then offer it, you'd still probably say, yeah? If I was to scribble on it, and then offer it, yeah? You'd still say yes, right? You can say yes or no, I don't mind. He goes to put it down here and stamp on it and give it a good rubbing in the grass. It's all covered in dirt and rubbish. And then offered you it. Would you still have it? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, it's still a £20 note. It hasn't lost any of its value, has it? It hasn't lost any value. You know, you and certainly many at Kenny for life ripped up by life they've been scumpled up by life they've been driven down into the dirt by life life has taken its toll on them but they haven't lost one penny of their value not too loud they've stayed exactly the same value doesn't matter what they think to God they are exactly the same some here you'll have done bad things in your life we've all done pretty bad things all to varying degrees. We've all thought bad things, done uncaring things. Some denied those, you know, God's lordship. We've all, we all were unbelievers at one stage. Some maybe followed other religions and other sects. But you know, whilst all those things are not so good, never during that period did you lose any of your value to God. You were still precious to Him. You were still loved by Him. That's why we're being called to love what he values. Love what he values. So let's pray that we have ears to hear Jesus speak to us this morning. So that when you leave this place, as you should every Sunday when Chris brings God's word to you, so that when you leave, you're ready all the more to go and walk the path that Jesus walked and to share the compassion that Jesus shared. We want to proclaim the gospel more than anything, don't we, in this world? And we want to share his compassion, compassion with the lost and the lonely. So then maybe, maybe they'll listen to us a little bit more. Maybe they'll see that what we say with our lips really has changed. Has, has, is true because our lives exhibit what we believe and what we proclaim with our lips. And people, people may realise that we care for their souls. But more than that, that God cares for their souls. That's what we want them to know, more than anything. Thank you for bearing with us this morning. I pray that God bless you in your work for the Lord here in our life. And thank you, Chris.